Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in the state of Vermont. I'm Anna Nassett, and I am your host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, we have Holly Pisciano, veteran, activist, speaker, and survivor from Texas. The show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concept for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit victims and survivors as they begin to mend. I want to begin, as always, with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing. But with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story related to crime, sexual assault, discuss our mental health, or other sensitive subject matter. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. So today, as I said, we have Holly. Holly is a retired major of the Army. She was born in California and enlisted in the Army in 2001, attending basic training at Fort Jackson in South Carolina. She joined the military as a dental technician and served in various duties and locations from Walter Reed Medical Center, 30th Medical Brigade, Aberdeen Providing Grounds, and her last enlisted assignment was at the Center for Health Promotion and Preventative Medicine, all while earning her bachelor's degree at the University of Maryland College, University of Maryland, University College. (laughs) Holly is an active advocate for victims of sexual and domestic violence. She appeared for special congressional panel for assault victims, participated in an educational training program for initial entry soldiers, and was an advocate for the King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, and continues to advocate through congressional venues for resource programs to expand for sexual assault victims. She currently sits on a board member of Hush No More, an organization that offers victims platforms to heal and continue to support training for the Hush topics. Following her retirement in 2021, she continues to remain advocate, active as an advocate for all victims of sexual assault and domestic violence within the military walls and otherwise. She resides in Texas with her two children and is also part owner of an ice cream shop, which is very cool in my mind. So thank you so much for being here, Holly. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, admire so much the work that you do and, you know, just creating a very open place for people to come and and get resources, talk, talk about the subjects, hear from other people who've been through this. It's just been really great and so admirable. So thank you for your work. Well, right back at you, my friend. Um, Full disclosure, Holly and I are both members of the Difference Makers 10 Strong, which is a speakers team. And so there's a group of us from all over the country that come together to talk about these topics and train together. So it's great to get to work with you on this today. Yeah. So to begin with, um, as you are a survivor, can you share a little bit about your story and how you got into this work? Really just whatever you're comfortable with to give sure. context to our listeners. Yeah. So I'm a military sexual trauma survivor. Um, that's kind of a new term, right? We don't, we didn't have that 15, 20 years ago, but my, um, my uh, real whole, I guess, journey is starting down this activism trail started with a um, d- domestic violence, sexual assault. Um, I was in a relationship with a, my abuser for a while before, um, you know, the abuse started. And I think that that is just so sick and important for people to understand because so many people out there that I speak with, and I'm sure you encounter this too, they feel like, 
oh, you dated on Friday, he raped you on Friday, and then you just stayed with him, right? And that's not the case. And so for me, my abuse was very um, foundationally groomed, right? So um, I dated my abuser um, for a while, ended up pregnant with a child and kind of, you know, with him and not really a way to get away from him, right? Because once you have a child, you're you're together forever. <laughs> so um, after the first, my daughter was born, um, things were like pretty bad still, right? He was more sexually abusive, more physically abusive, more verbally and mentally abusive. Um, I ended up pregnant for a second time. And uh, I think it's really hard for people to believe that you can be in a relationship and, and be raped and have children, right? Because people think like, oh, well, you're in this relationship, so you must want it. You must want to be with this. And what I tell people and share with people is that um, my abuse was so slow. Like it literally changed the being of who I am, right? It, it started out this wonderful relationship with this wonderful guy that wanted to go dancing and you know, get dressed up and just go. And he would say, look at my beautiful girlfriend. And, and then it turned into, oh, your laugh is so annoying. I wish you would stop. Like you were so lucky I put up with it. Nobody would ever want to be with you to a, oh my gosh, are you wearing that? You need to, you know, no, I'm never going to stay with you if you keep doing those things. And then it turned physical, right? So emotionally he had me on lockdown then it became physical when I was already like this shell of a person that was like, I'm not worthy. I'm, I am lucky he's with me. I am lucky I have someone like, I should be grateful. And I really did turn into this person that was like, what am I doing? Like, why can't I make him happy? Like, I have to do more. And it, instead of me, like continuing on to be this person that was like, I don't care, I'm going to live my life. I really became this person that like, almost always was like, how can I make him happy? How can I be better? How can I be? And I, I did exactly what groomers in this situation do. And I, I transitioned into like this person um, that was trying to be somebody else for this other person. And, and that's what a lot of people you know, that don't understand. Like when you're a victim of sexual assault, domestic violence, and, and any kind of like emotional um start right when the abuse is emotionally started you become someone else and you don't realize what you've lost you know everybody else on the planet hindsight's 2020 they're like oh you were being abused and I'm like but I didn't know that you know one of the biggest questions I get asked all the time is like why did you stay um and the the problem with that is I mean it's you know, totally a victimizing question, but more importantly, it's like, I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship. I really did think something was wrong with me. So anyway, sorry, I digress for just a moment. Anyway, so no, absolutely. That's a really important digression. People, you know, they do ask that all the time of the, why did you say, and it's like, that's not, that's not the question to be answering, asking because it's putting, it's putting that blame on us Yeah. instead of putting it like, on where it needs to be. It's your fault. Yeah. Right? Like those are the things that's hard. So anyway, um, I had my second daughter and uh, during my pregnancy with my second daughter, things were physically horrible. I mean, he ended up, we got into a very, very, very big physical altercation, which resulted in me being hospitalized. Um, I almost lost my daughter. And um, due to really just time, right, of this, I'm leaving a whole bunch of my story out. But after that physical altercation, um, he was court-martialed in the military. 
And he was found not guilty for domestic violence, but was found guilty for two other charges, one of them being resisting arrest and one of them disrespecting an officer. And um, those two guilty uh, charges, verdicts, ended up kind of getting him demoted and getting him, you know, a little slap on the wrist. He got down demoted from E7 Sergeant First Class to Staff Sergeant. Um, he later violated a no contact order and, you know, was demoted <clears throat> again, but like re I mean, he was just, he was the epitome of a, a beautiful perpetrator, right? Everybody in our command team thought he was awesome. Everybody thought he was the go-to guy. When they heard these things, they're like, there's no way he could have done that. Like, absolutely not. Like, he's such an amazing soldier, an amazing person. Like, no way is this him. <clears throat> so. They ended up, uh, you know, he went back to the board, he got promoted, the army re-promoted him. And you know, I had to live with that, that not guilty verdict for like eight years because people who don't understand the judicial process hear not guilty and think innocent, right? They hear not guilty and they're like, oh, she's a liar. And they don't realize that beyond a reasonable doubt is a very tough burden, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. And so you, I had to live through that. I mean, I felt myself like going five or six or seven times harder to go half or a quarter as far because um, in the military, at least, you know, the community is very small. Um, it's a huge, large organization, but you just bump into people from all over the place everywhere. And so I was always around people who knew him that would like whisper off to the side or, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, immediately know, know that I was the liar that ruined his career. Um, well, my, my abuser, as I said, got a second chance. Um, he did not take that second chance. Well, he raped another woman again, um, later on in his, in his life. And, um, when she filed charges, they kind of looked at his history and they, they found me and, and added a couple of, of charges of rape against him to his second court martial. So, at his second court martial, there were 11 total charges. Three of them were rape, two against me, one against another victim, child endangerment, um, domestic violence, and some other, you know, uh, other charges that military specific. But he was eventually found guilty of all three rapes. And he is currently spending time at Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary, um, which is a huge win, right? But I think, you know, one of the biggest reasons I think I, I share my story is there are so many people out there that think they're going to get a guilty verdict and it's going to be heavenly and they yep. love it and it's over and everything is great. And that's not the case. It's just different kind of trauma, right? It's different triggers. It's different stuff you're dealing with. Um, I actually stole this from somebody in our Difference Makers 10 Strong group. Um, I don't remember who said it. So whoever it was, I told them I was stealing this, but the journey to recovery is not linear. You know, people think like, oh, like, it happened on Friday. You should be better on Monday. Like, what's the deal? And I tell everyone, it's so circular. You know, you can be going great for a couple of months and then you hear someone that reminds me of your abuser and you're like, oh my gosh, and you're back to step three. And then you can be going and you see a car that, you know, reminds me of you or reminds you of your abuser. And then you're like back at step one. And um, I've been just a roller coaster, you know, for 17 years. You and me both, friend, like we both have that positive outcome of the guilty verdict and of the the offender serving time currently. 
Um, but it doesn't mean that it's all sunshine and roses. And I remember my advocate saying that to me on the day of sentencing, she's like, no matter what happens, like, this is not going to be the, the, the healing place. Like there's a whole journey and it's going to take forever. And there's going to be the wins and the losses. And the, like you said, you know, you're going along just fine. And then you just go, whoop. Um, yeah. And And it's, it's stuff you can't prepare for, right? It could be somebody behind you at, at the supermarket store where you're like, Oh my gosh, like I, I have to go. I mean, I've left a full cart of groceries in a store before I took the frozen stuff away and put the frozen stuff back. But I was like, I'm so sorry. I have to go. I can't be here. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, there have been movies that I've watched and I'm like into them and then they introduce a character and I'm like, I can't watch this anymore. Yep. Absolutely. People don't realize that, right? I'm 17 years removed from my first rape. And it's like, now it's like, oh my gosh, like what the heck? (laughs) Why does this car make me so crazy? Like, why am I crying in the middle of traffic? Because there's a certain car in front of me. So anyway, um, so that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I know that you, you know, will kind of get into some other things in in a little bit, but that's just really my story in a nutshell. Um, And I think it's important really to share with people, anybody that hears me, because the military gets a lot of flack right now, right? The the SHARP program is just under so much scrutiny and people are like, oh, it's broken and it needs to be fixed. And it, you know, it's this horrible situation, whatever. Um, And while I agree, there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of like, there's a long way till we get to that, you know, that finish line. I am the only military, I'm the only person in any military branch of service. So Army, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, or Coast Guard, any of them that has been through the court martial process twice with the same abuser. Once wow. with, yeah, once with a not guilty verdict, later on with a guilty verdict, once without a special victims counsel, and then later with a special victims counsel, once as an enlisted soldier, once as an officer, but once, and this is, I think, the most important part. <clears throat> Once before Congress said this behavior is no longer acceptable and you are going to change things military and once after. So I'm the only person in any military branch of service that can say, yes, we have a long way to go to get to that start uh, finish line, but we are so far away from the start line, right? We are so far away from that. And that is really the most important thing I think I can share with anybody is like, we have a lot of work to do, but- We've done so much work already, right? And in, I mean, that's incredible because I was like, one of my questions was how did the military respond? Um, And so you're just kind of sharing that, but it's, you know, I think it's also important for us to realize like, one, the domestic violence sexual assault movement is still so young. It started in the seventies, right? Right. And so to see that in that short time period, how the military switched from, you know, before the Congress and then after like that shows like concrete steps of progress. And that's really cool. And I'm glad that you got to experience the flip side of it as well. Yeah. Well, and I think it's hard because, you know, I, sh- I talk to a lot of victims, lots of victims call me and, and talk to me, you know, get a hold of me through whatever avenue they can. And they'll say like, oh, my, my perpetrator only got administratively discharged. And I have to kind of sit them down and say, like, what is justice to you, right? Like, go. Because that's horrible, right? The, the only answer for anybody is death, right? Yeah. Death, forever. I want him dead, needle in the arm. But the, the problem is that that's never going to be 
the result of a sexual assault or a domestic violence. And while we want it to be, that's not ever going to be, right? The answer is never going to be, oh, yeah, they sexually assaulted somebody. And even though the victim has a life sentence, they're going to get a life sentence. That's just not the case. Yep. Um, and so it's hard to understand that a positive outcome in almost any sense is a positive outcome, right? Yes. And, and that's the hardest thing for victims because they're like, well, my abuser only got two months in prison. Well, but are they a registered sex offender? Are they, you know, what else happened? What are the results of that? And that's the hardest thing because I mean, you know, even though my abuser got 25 years, I mean, he's at eight right now. Um, but like, I just got a letter from the, um, <clears throat> from the, uh, the prison, like about a month and a half to two months ago, saying that he's, you know, getting ready to be up for annual clemency to determine whether or not he'll be let out early. And I get to go through this every single year. It was a yep. mess for me. I was a mess. I was like reading this paperwork, crying like a baby because I was just like, I've only had eight years. And so now, you know, we've gotten to the, okay, it's been two years, it's been three years, it's been eight years to now it's like, oh my gosh, there's only 12 years left, only 10, you know, 11 years. Yeah. Left. So we're going downhill now. So it's, it's a different like aspect, but I'm going to just say, I'm sorry. I don't even remember what started us on this answer. So I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. it. <laughs> I'm loving it because you and I have a lot of similarities within this and just that like, yeah, like our, our sentence is, you know, we're counting down the days too. And I'm sure people ask you about that all the time. And, um, and just that whole concept of that we have to find justice for ourselves. Like that's a justice is not necessarily the guilty verdict because there will never actually be justice for what was done to us. Like, it, yeah. you know, and so we find that in different ways. And I mean, I could kind of go like, do you feel like, cause someone just asked me this the other day and they asked me if by speaking and sharing my story felt like another form of justice to me. And I was like, ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Um, I would say no. I think my answer to that, without having given it much thought, my immediate answer is no. And I say that, I think, because, right, my justice is that my girls become um, productive members of society despite not having him in their lives, right? Like, my justice is being successful in, in life. And um, so I don't date. I've made that, you know, conscious decision not to date. Um, I tried and I got my heart broken and I just was like, I can't do this. Like, it's too much. So I hear you, my um, friend. I, <laughs> it's, you know what it's, I think the thing is, is like the focus is my kids, right? That's, that's what the focus is. And this is like a dumb justice and I will never, ever give up on this justice. And people say it's a dream, not really justice, but um, I was actually talking to somebody about it the other day and and I, it was at a presentation and I think that this is where it's not a dream, right? So um, I wanted to be, I love the show Survivor. It's the best show on the planet. It is my favorite. Like I absolutely love it. And I wanted to be on it a long time ago. I like the first time I ever sent an application, it was like VHS 27 page, like handwritten, you know, document. We didn't have the internet, none of that stuff. Right. So um but I had told my abuser about it. And he said, oh, you're a nut. Like, you're dumb. 
you would never do good on that show. You would be voted out first. You are just so stupid for thinking that that's the case. And um, when I decided to like take my life back, you know, five or six years ago, when I just was overwhelmed by just so many things, I was like, you know what, I'm going to apply again. And then I became like a crazy applier and I've like applied 21 times, 22 times, I think now. Um, and so to me, justice is like getting on that show and being like, screw you. You thought I was a nut. I'm going to win. <laughs> right? Love it. Yes. Um, and people tell me all the time. They're like, oh my gosh, that's such a weird like thing to want to do. But I tell everybody, like, if you know, Jeff Probst, like hook him up with me because the two of us, you know, need to be friends because he needs to have me on the show. But it's because people that are victims in any kind of situation often lose hope. Yeah. They don't think that they're worthy of things. They don't think they're worthy of being happy. They don't think that they're worthy of like the simple things in life. And everybody makes fun of me for applying because I might be the first voted out. I am a very cranky, like no coffee, no food, no water kind of person. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's, it's the thought of like having a dream and not giving up on it. Right. It's the thought of like, you took so much away from me. You're not going to take this silly dream too, you know? Absolutely. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And I think like, I mean, that speaks to, you know, just our healing process and just like, what kind of was that and I love that, you know, like we call ourselves survivors. So I love, I love the idea of you being like the <laughs> ultimate survivor. That'd be so great. One day, maybe. I, I, if I know anybody that knows Jeff Probst, I'll let you know. I can't think yeah. of anybody, but. Um. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, I think, because, you know, um, everybody jokes. I tell everybody, I mean, I tell everybody like, hey, listen, you want to come mow my grass or hook me up with like a phone call from Jeff Probst? either of those thing, two things will help me out. Right. So I just, I know it's, it's silly, but it really is just having the hope. Yeah. Cause hope, hope is lost when you're in a depressed state, right. Going through depression. Like there's you, I tell people sometimes I would look up and literally see not a tiny speck of light. It was total darkness. And there was a time in my life where like, I literally was just trying to get through the next hour. Like, yeah please just let me get through the next hour and I'll take the hour after that after like, I'm yeah. only thinking about the next five minutes, right? Yeah. Like hard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know, like, I mean, this is something I share when I have my really dark days, which I still do. My big thing is I'm like, if you can just do the dishes today, that's enough. Yeah. Like yeah. that's enough. Cause for me, there's something really mental about like the cleaning it's like, okay, yeah. you're just like, you're putting your hands in water. You're at least getting the dishes done. That's the one thing that you are accomplishing today. And if you did that, then, Hey, you're good. You can go back and watch Gilmore girls and <laughs> lay I, those I stack think, of quilts. Yeah. I, you know, I think people don't understand, like there are a lot of people out there because we don't, I think this is the struggle for, for me at least. And this is just my, my thoughts on it is sexual assault and domestic violence is like one of those topics of taboo. We don't talk about it, right? There's a card at Walgreens that's like, oh, sorry for your loss. There's mm -hmm. a card that says, congratulations on your new baby. But there's not a card that says like, sorry, you've been sexually assaulted. And yeah. people sometimes like when they find out, 
they're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle this. Like, uh, I don't know what to do. And when they found out initially, that was the response. And so when they don't know what to do, they don't talk to you, which further ostracizes you, which further puts you in like this depressed state. Right. So it's a very lonely journey to recover because so many people, we don't talk about these things. We don't normalize them. And I think like, you know, one of the things I, I like broke down probably about a year ish ago with my mom, I was on the phone with her and I said, I didn't realize that my credit card debt was because I was depressed. I didn't realize that like my credit card debt was because I didn't want to make dinner for the girls. So I just bought Outback. Yep. I, I didn't want to, you know, come home and clean anything. So I just paid a, a maid service. I didn't want to do laundry. So I just went and bought clothes. Like people don't understand like the connection of that. And, and when I realized that, I mean, it was like 10 or 12 years after my assault, I was like, oh, I have to get out of credit card debt. Like I have so much credit card debt, but it was because I was just in such a bad place where I just didn't want to do anything. And you're right. Like putting this cup of coffee in the sink is all I can do today. And that's what I'm going to do. You and know? you celebrate very, it. Very yeah. You're like, and I'm like, Woo! look at me. I put that cup in the sink. Yes. I hear you. Yeah. How has, um, like, as you've shifted into this more public place with speaking and connecting with other survivors, and now that you've retired as well, how has that, has that helped you with your healing process? Or just what has that been like for you um, to navigate this kind of more like public role of speaking out? I think, um, For me, it has certainly healed me and helped me heal, recognizing that other people are seeing that they can be strong too, right? To me, it's not about, you know, going and speaking and talking to people and and sharing my story about my life with them. To me, it's about going and talking and sharing and showing people that you can be any rank in the military and go to behavioral health. It's okay. Yep. You can be in any situation. You can be in a great home life. You can be in a crappy home life. You can be in a single home life. Like you can be in any of these things and go to behavioral health or go talk to the chaplain or go seek assistance. You know, I've had, I had a lot of people while I was still active duty who would come to me and say like, how do you do it as a major? I'm like, how do you do it as a private? Like, why are we any different? Right? Like yeah. everybody deserves to be happy. Everybody deserves to heal. Everybody deserves to be okay. And I think, again, it gets back to that normalizing it, right? Like everybody, it, it's okay. My dad is diabetic. I've been sexually assaulted, like normalizing that so that people don't feel ashamed. Right. Cause for me, I didn't come forward for so long because I felt like it was my fault. I was like, oh my gosh, I did this. If I wasn't better, if I didn't do these things, then it wouldn't have happened. And so for me, it was realizing like, I didn't rape myself. Right. I didn't choke myself. I didn't sodomize myself. Like I shouldn't be ashamed of these things. And so for me sharing, um, there's always someone in the audience that comes up after and says, thank you so much. I think I'm going to get help. And even just the door opening is enough for me to say, okay. Cause you know, it's hard to talk about these intimate details about your life and talk Absolutely. about trauma and, and go into like these 
tailspins of like all of the, you know, crappy things that you've done and money you've spent and, you know, all of these things, because it's tough, but for the one person out there that hears your story and is like, I got help. I mean, I get so many messages on Facebook from people that are like, I heard your, I got a message, I think about three weeks ago. She said, I heard your story about three years ago. I'm finally getting out of this situation. Thank you so much. And I was like, oh, I love you. Let's go to lunch and coffee, right? Like, yes, that's what makes advocacy work so amazing to me yeah. is, is other people feeling like the hard work I've done has proven that they can do it too. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. I, I got on the soapbox. <laughs> no, I love it. I 100% agree. I mean, for me, it's just like, this is in service to others. And and same thing, like, you know, when I started speaking, it was just about stalking to educate people on stalking because no one takes it seriously. That's my soapbox. I'm not going to get on right now. But even within that, like I wasn't telling all these other parts of my story from like my young adult years, from childhood, my struggles with mental health. I was leaving all of that out because I still carried shame with it. And mm-hmm. it's really been through, well, our, our, our friend, Eric, um, uh, who is one of the difference makers for our listeners. Um, he's somebody who I really feel like getting to know him and just feeling really encouraged. Like I've opened up and been like, oh, I don't need to be ashamed of these things. I could talk about these. And in doing so, it's completely opened up that same thing where it's like people are coming up to me and like, I, you know, I, I see that I, I, this was wrong. What was happened to me? And this was wrong. And and I need to get help. And um, I'm like, no shame in therapy, people love me some therapy. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And it just sounds like you and I are similar in our philosophies. <laughs> well, I just, like I said, it's the topic and something we just don't talk about. Um, the only way to do it is to have people. I mean, there are people that are, you know, the, the bridge makers of every single topic. I mean, yeah. if you look across the board, every single topic that's out there, somebody exposed themselves to get that right we would not have transgender equality if there wasn't somebody that was willing to expose themselves and say we deserve something you know we deserve yeah. to be treated effect- um, appropriately and because of that now we have this very open mindset to so many different you know so many different topics yeah in the world. And I even think that like with when Me Too started, when well, I mean, when Me Too became famous, it started many years ago. Like I felt like that started to really open up the doors to have a more normalized conversation around these subjects where, you know, I could be out with a friend and before we would never talk about these things in public. And now we're just like, oh yeah, and this and this work and this and this. And I mean, I think that's really important that we are normalizing this conversation so that we're not carrying all that shame and burden. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, this is the thing that people don't recognize, right? It takes decades to change a culture of people. You know, this it's, I'll, I'll use um, race and equality as an example. I mean, you know, not a hundred years ago, we had slaves in the world. And so we now, I mean, decades later are transitioning into a, like a, a group of people that demands equality for all versus, you know, we couldn't vote. Women couldn't vote, you know? Yeah. It took decades to get to the table. I mean, we're still facing, you know, pay issues and whatnot. And so it just takes time yeah. to change a culture. And so I think people that are mm-hmm. like, oh, this is so broken. It is, but we are doing something good every day. And even if it's a small step forward, it's still a step forward. And 
And I think that that's so important to remind people, you know, I think, and I said this a little earlier, like we have so many people that are out there just really not happy with so many outcomes, but um, there are not very many people that are sharing positive outcomes because it's traumatizing. Yeah. Right. It's, it's easy to go and say, I'm so angry. This should have been something different. And I'm mad about this, but because they are, and, you know, rightfully so they absolutely should feel justified in those feelings, but there are a lot of people that are out there that don't share their story because they have had, you know, justice to some extent, whatever, and however you define that, and they want to just be done with it and not yeah. like have that be, you know, cause I think I, I tell people all the time, I don't want people to be like, Holly, she's the domestic violence survivor, right? I want them right. to be like, Holly is that crazy lady that makes amazing ice cream, yes. right? Like that's what I want. So yeah. I want them to be like, Holly's the mom of the, you know, two cool kids or whatever. Like, I don't want to be the, the sexual assault survivor. Like that's right. not who I am. I'm Anna, like who lives at the end of a dirt road with her three-legged dog and makes macrame. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm also a stalking expert and survivor and sexual assault survivor, but it's more like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm the dirt bag next to you at the bonfire on a Saturday night. Like that's more how I want to be identified. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. We, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, this is a side question. Like, sure. do you find making ice cream to be like a really joyful, fun thing and helpful to healing or not? Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I have two master's degrees, like a master's in leadership studies and a master's in healthcare administration. So getting out of the military, people were just assuming I'd go back and work in healthcare. Um, but it, it is the stress and the triggers of like unexpected people, unexpected patients. Um, one of the last couple of you know years in my military career, I had to deal with somebody, it was a patient who was very upset um, with the care that they had received. They remind me of my abuser and I was not okay for like a while. Like it was a couple of days before I was okay again. Um, and, uh, there's no stress in ice cream. The stress is like, oh my gosh, is there a strawberry mix today? Like, oh my gosh, do I have pressed strawberries or, you know, not. And I think for me, it's the creativity of being able to, um, be adventurous, right. Yeah. And not know, and just be creative. I work with both of my kids. So it's one-on-one -on -one time with both of them that, you know, gets us talking just the creativity yeah, it, of it. It's I love important. It. Like, that's like what, like I said, with my, my little macrame side hustle. Um, like, I love it. Like I'm doing some craft fairs this summer and I'm just like, it's the creativity. It helps my mind. I enjoy it. And yeah, it's so well, important you know, to have those there's things. actually, there's actually like, um, there's actually like journals that have been released that it's actually like proven that like doing mosaic work or, um, painting or any of those, like intricate details where your mind has to kind of stop and think like, what do I need? What do I, you know, do whatever. That's very relaxing for people with PTSD. Um, yeah. And although I'm not technically cooking anything, right. But following a recipe in the kitchen, um, making the ice cream is really just, it's very nice, right. It's very wonderful to be able to take a minute, hang out with my kids. There's no stress. There's, well, there's a little stress because, um, you have to get the ice cream out fast. So sometimes yeah. like towards the end, I'm like, hurry up. <laughs> That's but okay. <laughs> for the most part, no stress. I love it. I love it. Um, 
so I was going to ask as we start to work kind of we're winding down now. Um, what would you suggest to victims and survivors listening today as they make decisions to report or not report, look at options? Um, like, what would you suggest to those listening today that have not filed actual reports and are just looking to decide things? Um, I think that is such an intimately personal decision, right? It is so important to kind of sit down and, you know, I think you said it earlier, you have to manage expectations of like what could happen. Um, because what should happen and what could happen are drastically different. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, people go in to some of these situations with the expectation of like, they're going to go to prison forever and I'm going to be free. And I think that's not the case, right? So when you have a situation where you're deciding whether you should report or you should, you know, not report, I think it's so important to kind of emotionally look at like, what can I handle? Right. Like, where am I in this process and in this journey process? And what can I do if it's a negative outcome, if it Mm -hmm. doesn't go, if it this, you know, my, the attorneys in my case, um, as hard and frustrating as it was for me, they managed my expectations the entire time. Um, And they weren't my attorneys, right? I had a special victims counsel assigned to me, which is a beautiful program that the military has that assigns an attorney to the victim that gets to go, you know, in with the judges in the judges chambers and all that. And so there's someone there actually representing the victim, not just the prosecutor and the defense. And so um, I was very blessed in having, I was one of the first cases to go to court with the special victims counsel. But, um, you know, at the beginning, as soon as they preferred charges, I was like, I want to write my victim impact statement right now. And they were like, no, hold (laughs) up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yep. We were like a way long time away from that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, then there was some delays and delays and delays. And then we finally ended up going to another pre-court hearing. And I was like, we um, successfully, you know, completed that one. And so I was like, okay, I want to write my victim impact statement now. And he was like, nope, it's not time. Nope. And we get to court and we're there. And I like, I'm sitting in this room and I don't have any really thing to do except look up like do, 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 do. and I was like I want to write my statement now he's like absolutely not it's, it's not time and it wasn't until the judge came out and said guilty that he said okay now write it yeah and it it was emotional because it wasn't just a you know it wasn't a um unemotional uh victim statement it was like now all of these emotions have come you know to fruition and I think that was so important for me um because I think another thing people don't understand because we have this preconceived like SVU thing, right? Law and order, the crime happens. It's all an hour later. It's all solved. They're in jail. 42 minutes later, justice is served and the CEO gets to win the lottery, right? Like that's not the case. I mean, in my case, charges were preferred in October or I'm sorry, November of 12. And we did not see the inside of a courtroom until January of 14. It took a long time. And so, um, you know, I don't want to be negative because I want people to come forward and get the help that they need. But I really feel like if you're not prepared, um, then, you know, whatever the outcome is could be devastating to you, you know? Yeah. Like I said, you're going to wait. I mean, a lot of times, like, yeah, my trial was two years. 
um, nearly two years from files from filing to going to trial. And that was like, you took the words out of my mouth. It was like, it's not SVU here. Like it takes a long time. And the whole time I felt like I was being prepared to, we might not get guilty. And you're like, why am I going through this? But yeah, but I'm glad that it's hard, right? Yeah. You, you don't understand that because you're like, well, no, I've done this. I've said this, you know, and this is the other thing, like people don't understand. And I, I try to tell everyone this because lots of people will say like, oh, well, this person said that it happened and then said it didn't. And I tell people, look, you can never take that from somebody because somebody withdrawing a complaint is not a false allegation. And this is, this is what I tell people. Like I had to talk to CID and CID are the people that need to know the details based solely on like, um, we have to figure out like where to collect the evidence. Right. And then you have to go talk to the doctor and the doctor has to know this perspective of like evidence collection. Right. And then you have to go talk to the commander and then the commander has to know these or the lawyers or whomever has to know because they need to know what charges to prefer. And so in my case, I told my story to like 16 different people, right? Everybody needed a different perspective. And so sometimes when you're not prepared for that, you get to like the third story and you're like, I can't handle this. Like this I can't tell it much. again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. Right. And so that's one of the most amazing things that some military bases have started doing. I know Fort Hood, they videotape the, the, the discussion. Um, and then everybody has access to it that needs yeah. it. And then if they have other questions, they're able to get those out. But that's a huge change from like pre, you know, pre-Congress and, and post-Congress, because now people are looking at like victims and like, how do we not re-victimize people? Um, but it's so, I think it's just, you have to be prepared and you have to know. And if you know someone that's been through the process, talk with them. Because I think one of the worst things you can do is be like, I'm going to go report this and it's going to be over next week. And I'm going to be able to get on with my life because that's just not the case. And so I think for me, my piece of advice is just be prepared, have somebody set up from a mental health perspective or somebody that you trust wholeheartedly that you can talk to about the process because it's not easy. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a a limited series on Netflix. It's called unbelievable. I don't know if you've watched it, but it was so impactful to me. Like watching that first episode, I think it took me like 10 times because every single time we'd get to a certain point, I'm like, I feel like this victim. I feel this person all over again. Like I feel depleted because back in the day, people were like, well, were you drinking? Did you say no? Did you, did you, did you? And so, you know, you're like, you've got this light on you or you feel like they're interrogating you and you're like, no, I didn't. I Did I, I don't remember. And yeah, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, like, because I think that's the other thing. Like we work so hard to like tuck these horrible like details into like the spaces of our lives that we don't think about that. We're like, what? I mean, I was giving a presentation about two, maybe three months ago. And in the middle of the presentation, I remembered something and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot all about that. And it was something so silly, but it was just oh my gosh, <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? You can't prepare for it. And so did that I last guess, week. I did that oh last my week gosh. in Look front of this. a lot of people and was like, oh, oh. And I actually got like a little choked up. I was like, sorry, not sure where that came from, but it happens. Yeah. And luckily, like we're talking to people who get it and they care. And there's something so beautiful about that, that like now in that moment, if that happens, like 
there's a hundred advocates in law enforcement watching me speak. Like I'm okay. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that to me feels really, really like well cared for. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's yeah, absolutely beautiful. Like way to like answer that question. I think it's just, it's nail on the head, right? Like absolutely. Um, but that's my advice. Be prepared. Yeah. And and it's be prepared because you can't go in thinking it's going to be guilty. And, you know, I talked to somebody last week and I told him, cause he's like, oh yeah, I have a, I have a person who's getting ready to go through this process. And I told her, we're going to get him. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you can say. Yeah. Don't ever say that because you don't, don't promise know. anything. Yeah. You don't yeah. know that. And now you've ruined potentially it's, it's not ruined the life of, but it's ruined the faith of the system. Yep. Right. Because you said we were going to get him, and we didn't. And, and maybe they will, I don't know, but, but if they don't, it's the system that has failed, right? Which is why we have so many people that are like, oh, the system is broken. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I got on my no. soapbox. Again, I'm like, I keep getting on the soapbox. I swear I'm on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You and I have very, very similar philosophies. So I'm so excited to like, you know, I try and keep a lot of my well, I know I always express opinions on here, but I try and, you know, just kind of let whoever my guest is just really roll out. And I'm like, oh, yes, Holly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I am with you. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and I could talk to you all day, but for the sake of time, I am going to start to wind down. Um, okay. I do always just love to send to end with a positive message, just like a short statement that you would have to listeners out there. Um, to kind of close out our heavy subject matter. So just something positive that you can think of that you'd like to share with folks that are listening today. Um, I think that the, the, the positive thing that I'll end this with is just uh, sexual assault. Pe- people who have um, been through sexual assault or domestic violence are normal people. They can survive. It, it is a journey to survivorship, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not, you're not a victim and you're always a victim. Yep. You are the one that takes you on the journey to survivorship. And, and, you know, in my case, sometimes I'm still a victim. I am a survivor. And then I'm like, whoop, I'm a victim again. And I'm going to become back on that road. So it is a journey. It is not, you know, a, a project. There is no end date and you will be on this journey forever, but you have the ability to be, you know, a, a survivor and remain a survivor. And, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of talking. It's, you know, an, an experience, but you can survive it. You can do it. And I have faith in you. <laughs> yeah. And you're not alone. We're right here with you. Yeah. We're right here with you as survivors and victims. And yeah, I'm not going to go on my little tangent, but I, for a moment, like people often, like if I refer to myself as a victim, they're like, no, you're a survivor. I'm like, I get to decide what I am that day. Yeah. And you do. It's, so that yeah, journey absolutely. is yours, yes, journey is yours so but you are not alone. Yeah, it is you. You define it. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I'm so excited to share this with folks. Um, if you want to learn more about Holly, you can check out dm10strong.com. And I'm guessing that there'll be more about Holly coming out as she moves further into her retirement. And um, just so excited to have you here. Hopefully I can come to Texas and eat some ice cream with you. I would really like it. that. Um, <laughs> always. As always, listeners, if you have any questions, feel free to email me on at standupresources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nasset, and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next few weeks here on The Mend. Be well, be strong, and goodbye.
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or feedback. We love hearing new topic ideas from listeners and watchers as well. Thank you for listening to The Mend and be well.